0: You may have noticed that the Lord's Prayer this morning from Luke 11 is slightly different than that which Jesus taught in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think it's because uh, Jesus taught on the subject of prayer on more than one occasion, and um, so it's not unusual that the teaching will sound a little different. It's the same teaching, basically, but it's going to be worded a little differently from place to place and time to time. And so if you're wondering why there's only five petitions in this morning's prayer as opposed to the regular seven in Matthew, that's why. We bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. What we refer to as the Lord's Prayer was recited daily in public schools until at least 1961. Amy Jill Levine was a Jewish girl educated in Boston, Massachusetts public schools. She and her classmates would recite the Lord's Prayer every morning. Amy Jill did not know it was a Christian prayer. To her, the prayer sounded very Jewish, because it is. Amy Jill would have recognized the Lord's Prayer as a tefillah, a Jewish petitionary prayer, a prayer-making requests of God. That is to say, the Jews differentiate three different kinds of prayer. There are blessings, praises, Vocalized toward God, those are the barakah. There are also thanksgivings voiced to God, uh, the yada, and there are the tefillah, the petitionary prayers. And in our gospel lesson for today, this disciple is not asking Jesus how to bless God. He's not asking Jesus how to give thanks to God. He's asking Jesus. How to petition God? How do you, Lord, petition God? And and so what follows is Jesus' own petitionary prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is more than advice on how to pray. It is Christ's own prayer. And, And that, by the way, includes the prayer for forgiveness. Now, if you know your scriptures, you know as well as I. That Jesus was and is without sin so why would he pray the petition for forgiveness well Jesus identifies with sinners that's his entire ministry he's baptized with sinners in the Jordan he's numbered with sinners at the cross and notice he prays in the plural forgive us our sins That is to say, his disciples certainly need forgiveness, and Jesus sees his disciples as extensions of himself. He's the head, they and we are his body. And Jesus identifies so closely with his followers and with us that our sins become his sins at the cross. So page 11 in your bulletin, Roman numeral 1 in the outline Verse 2, Jesus teaches us to say Father. The word Father is, I believe, the most important word in the entire prayer because we know God as Father only because he reveals himself to us through his Son. God the Son reveals God the Father. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, through the Son, that we might be saved. So that word Father is really gospel. It is good news because it says everything you need to know about the ministry of Jesus. Roman numeral two. Notice how the prayer that Jesus gives is divided into two kinds of petitions. There are the thy petitions or or the your petitions, right? Uh, Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come. And there are the us petitions. We'll get to the us petitions in just a moment. But notice the your petitions are placed first. And they are placed first, I believe, to receive the emphasis. That's because human nature, it's our human nature to want our prayers to be about ourselves. For example, my sinful nature wants my prayers to be about me about my good name, my reputation, my ability to get my way. But notice, the first two petitions Jesus gives us are about God's reputation, hallowed be your name, and about God having his way. Your kingdom come. Now, my new nature in Christ agrees with those petitions because my new nature understands that human flourishing really does depend on God's name being hallowed among us and God having his way among us. But my sinful nature, on the other hand, is more concerned about his own reputation and having its own way. So your sinful nature really cannot pray the your petitions, but your new nature gladly prays them. Letter A, hallowed be your name. Point number one, biblical names are revelatory. They reveal what they say. They reveal the person. For example, um, the first man is called Adam or Adam in Hebrew because he was taken from the Adama, from the ground. Adama means ground. The Adam is taken from the Adama, Okay. And in Hebrew, the the name Eve, which Adam gave to his wife, sounds like the Hebrew name or word for life, because he says she's the mother of all living, okay? And the angel said to Joseph, the husband of Mary, you shall give him this son, this holy child, the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Names our revelation number two God's name equals his person his presence among us now God himself dwells in unapproachable light but he causes his name to dwell his name dwells on earth his name is that part of him that we can grasp and believe his name is an extension of himself where his name is spoken such as in baptism He himself is present to save and to forgive, to deliver. And that leads us to the next your petition, letter B, your kingdom come. Wherever God's saving name is spoken, wherever the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, there is God's kingdom, there is God's gracious reign. Roman numeral three, the S petitions. Letter A, give us our daily bread. Now notice, Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread. Not for weekly bread, or monthly bread, or yearly bread, but for daily bread. Jesus, and really all scripture, teach us to focus on today. Why? Why? Because we don't have tomorrow. All we have is now. Focus on the now. That's Christ's teaching. We're not promised tomorrow. Tomorrow is in God's hands, not ours. We may try to worry about tomorrow. We may worry is concern over the future, trying to manipulate tomorrow, but we can't. And we're reminded of that all too often. Now, we can and should make plans for tomorrow, but we should always remember the words of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who said this, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Tomorrow is beyond your control. Tomorrow, as Jesus says, will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. her be. And forgive us, for we ourselves forgive everyone. That's, that sounds rather sure and certain, doesn't it? We ourselves forgive everyone. Jesus seems sure that we will. Luther wrote in his catechism that we will forgive everyone as God has forgiven us in Christ he writes we will surely forgive one another what's he thinking how can he be so sure that we're going to be so forgiving well it all really comes down to this my refusal to forgive someone is due to one thing only it's due to my own blindness to my own sinfulness and my own need of forgiveness Notice the first part of verse 4 in our gospel reading. Forgive us our sins. You see, that is the critical element. Until you and I see our own sinfulness, we see ourselves as more righteous than our offender. But that's a lie. Our reluctance to forgive is proof of that. Not only are we not more righteous than our offender, but we may be worse than our offender because our refusal to forgive the offense is really the greatest offense of all. The refusal to forgive as we have been forgiven is the greatest offense of all. Let us see and lead us not into temptation. My friends, there are tests. There are temptations that are so strong and so overwhelming that if God did allow them into our lives, we would succumb to them and we would fall away from the faith and never come back. And that, by the way, is what we deserve. We deserve to be handed over to Satan. We deserve to be abandoned by God. But we pray in this petition that God would not abandon us as we deserve and that he would preserve us from such severe tests And that's reflected in the words of St. Paul, who wrote, No temptation has overtaken you, except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And this petition reflects that. Don't give us more than we can bear, even though we deserve it. (laughs) And then Roman numeral four, Jesus closes out this teaching on prayer with two different parables The first one has to do with a beggar who comes at midnight, the most inconvenient hour, the middle of the night, at least in the Middle East, the middle of the night. And the upshot here, letter A, is that beggars are shameless and they're bold. They learn to be shameless and bold. I remember a woman in Texas, a member of my congregation, a single mom struggling to support her two teenage children and she confessed this to me, she said, I have had to ask for help from others so many times that I have no more shame. The shame is gone, you know. I need the help. That is her reality. And that is our reality as well. When Luther was on his deathbed, the last words he wrote, he could, he could barely scribble them out, but he wrote, we are all beggars, this is true. And it is. And let her be the second parable about a father giving good gifts to his son. If you who are evil can give such good gifts, what about God? What do you think about him? So let her be. If good can arise from evil people, like the fathers that many of us are, much more can good arise from your heavenly father. That's the lesson there. Be confident, be bold, expect because of who he is, not because of who you are but because of who he is and who you are in Christ. So, Roman numeral five, finally, do we pray like Jesus? You know, I I like this saying from the early church, quote, what you pray is what you believe. Our Lord Jesus said it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, Prayer reveals your priorities. Now, it is my experience, and I would include myself in this, that many, if not most, of our personal prayers actually reflect verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. Most of our prayers center there. Daily bread includes all that we need to support this body in life, good weather, good health, safe travel, a stable home life, good government, peace, and so on and so forth. Jesus commands us to pray for these things, and it is good to do so. The problem is not what we say. The problem is what we neglect to say. When I overhear folks praying informally, I seldom hear any hint of the your petitions. And I plead guilty to the same Many, if not most, Christian prayers focus on daily bread and little else. Now, God's concern for you and me includes daily bread, but it it goes far beyond that. Remember, these are the petitions Jesus prays for all of us because these are petitions that are pleasing to God. These reflect God's concern for you and me, which goes far beyond what we think we need. These petitions, all of these petitions contribute mightily to human flourishing. For example, when people hallow God's name, they begin to live and teach according to his word as he desires. When God's kingdom comes, people repent of their sins. They turn around and they believe the good news of Jesus. When God's good and gracious will is done, people reconcile and they repair relationships. Our needs go far beyond daily bread. God knows that, even if we forget. And Jesus prays that way, even if we do not. So I want you to think of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, not as a series of boxes you must check in order for your prayer to be heard. That's not it. Think of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer as this menu of ways in which God serves you and provides for every need that you and I have. Spiritual needs as well as physical needs. Eternal needs as well as temporal needs. These petitions reflect the way God cares for you. They are the ways Jesus prays for you and they are the ways he encourages us to pray for one another. In Jesus' name and to his glory, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.